Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. So great to be with you once again here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics, Brian Tripp. And this is, quite honestly, a guest that we should have had from day one. Sharmarette Curtis, the head field hockey coach at Penn State. She's a Hall of Famer in the sport, in coaching, and she's someone that has been a part of Penn State since the mid-1970s. A three-time first-team All-American in field hockey at Penn State, the only in program history. She graduated in 1979, captain of the 78 undefeated team. She scored 50 goals in four years and, oh yeah, was an All-American in lacrosse as well, a part of national championship teams there. And now she's returned to Penn State as the 33-year head coach of the Penn State field hockey team, five Final Fours, a couple of national championship games, and the longest tenured field hockey coach in the Big Ten, 33 seasons and fifth all-time with 537 wins, 28 NCAA tournament appearances, an Olympian, and a Pennsylvanian through and through. She grew up in Philadelphia. So this is a guest that not only represents Penn State, but represents the sport of field hockey on an international level as an Olympian and as a coach for so many teams over the years, but someone that has a lot of pride in where she came from and what she has accomplished in her career and a career that that still has a long way to go. So I think you're going to enjoy this. We're going to touch on a lot of those subjects as I welcome in Sharmarette Curtis, the head coach of the Penn State field hockey team, Shara, thanks so much for the time. This was long overdue. I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, it's my pleasure. I've been, been waiting for this call, actually. When I was preparing for this, I, I try to come up with a list of questions, and you try to come up with a an order of ways you want to go with, with the podcast. And you've had such a diverse background in the sport and multiple sports. You played lacrosse at Penn State uh, along with field hockey. It's taken you all over the world, whether it's coaching or playing when you reflect on how a sport can impact someone's life, I was just awestruck by everything you've experienced and the places you've experienced it throughout your career. You know, Brian, I am so blessed. Uh, I grew up in a big family in a great little community, Alden, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Um, there are a lot of kids on the block. Uh, I had five brothers, and we just all, you know, played sports. Our family was very close. Sitting down at the dinner table was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and just really, I thought, you know, kept our family together. And then when everybody started playing sports, I wanted to be one to play sports as well. So, fortunately, the community in which I grew up, Alden, Pennsylvania, had some strong women that started programs for girls, uh, softball, I was swimming club, and then going on to Lansdowne Alden High School, I had incredible, powerful women that mentored me uh, in sports like field hockey, basketball, and lacrosse. And their support of me led me to Penn State. They were the ones who said to me, uh, you know, you, you could go to college and play field hockey and lacrosse. Meanwhile, no one in my family, I'm six of seven, had gone on to college. And it was something that I wasn't even sure my family could afford. But again, fortunately, Penn State was one of the few schools that offered scholarships for female athletes, uh, I think it was like 1975, and Title IX came into play in 1972, but Penn State really was one of the first universities that did it because it was the right thing to do, not because it was so much enacted. 
And over the years, Penn State has always been a leader. And as you said, back in the 1970s is really when it began, a leader as a pioneer in women's sports for intercollegiate athletics. So when you step on campus back in the mid-1970s, and I'm not trying to date you here, what was the climate like when you were an athlete at Penn State? You know, um, it, it was very welcoming. I would say very, very welcoming. Um, we, our field was up at the Flower Garden, so we were, well, first of all, it was main campus where the Thomas building is. So mm-hmm. everybody had a chance to, they're walking to and from classes around 3 o'clock to watch the field hockey and cross game. So it sort of gave us exposure. My, right, we only had 10 games, and then, we went on to a winter break because we were on trimesters, and then the lacrosse season started in the spring, and it really didn't start till March, and it went through May, so the weather was, you know, much, much nicer then than I would say our springs are today. But, um, you know, you got to do interacting with the other athletes. There was a, everybody had a training table together, so we really looked forward to seeing our friends who were football players, soccer players, lacrosse players, um, who are still some of my best friends today. So I think there was just that um, that genuine camaraderie. Uh, you know, we all met up socially. We, you know, maybe it was uh, Fiji on a Friday night or, you know, Fidel on a Saturday night. But we found, you know, we found ways to, to get together and socialize and uh, develop those friendships and just that athletic support of each other. You were an All-American in field hockey and lacrosse. Was it common back then to play two sports? How'd you accomplish it? Well, you know, today, uh, I don't, it, it's very, very difficult because just the, the schedules themselves. I mean, we played 10 games. Our postseason tournament was like one big weekend uh, early on, and then it became maybe a double weekend uh, later into the 70s. But, you know, having trimesters back then, you sort of had that winter trimester where you had 10 weeks where you really had time to, you know, not be a student athlete. And, and I, I thought that was very healthy. And then you were excited about starting lacrosse. Like, I love both sports equally because, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of us played both sports, but then there were others that didn't. So you sort of look forward to, you know, being with different friends, different seasons. Um, and we had Jillian Radcliffe was our coach. She coached both sports. So it was easy transition to go from, you know, field hockey in the uh, fall to the Describe Jillian as a coach, because I know she's a mentor for you, and she had a big impact on your career throughout. So describe her as a coach and what it was like to play for her and what you took from her. You know, she was a, uh, she was a very competitive, competitive British woman. She, uh, I received a letter the other day from Sharon Taylor, who's the athletic director at Lock Haven, and she sent me this article when Jillian resigned in 1982 because for her to coach lacrosse and field hockey and to have her teaching schedule was overwhelming. And she obviously wasn't paid much, but I just can't do it all and, and resign. And she was too good of a coach to resign. And it was really nice to hear the letter that Sharon wrote to uh, Jim Palmer on her behalf. But Jillian had an amazing fight for her. Not to taught us how to fight, especially for, you know, quality for women's sports. Um, you know, if the guys get a training table, we were getting training table. Like she just really made sure that things were equal for us. Um, the other uh, part of her is that she really had to make sure that while we were so competitive on the field, our students had to be shine. Our shirts had to be pressed. We 
were our own equipment managers, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we had to make sure that we were, um, you know, really representing Penn State with class when we played, but also being uh, very competitive once we were on the field. But she really, really cared about every individual. She cared about, you know, could you afford big school? Did you maybe your parents need more money? Did you have uh, gloves for the winter time? You know, she just, she really cared about everyone. And you mentioned something there about her teaching and coaching at the same time. I know talking to Russ Rose when he was here first at Penn State, he had to teach and he still teaches today, but he taught and was coaching. When you were at Old Dominion, Boston College, like that's something back then that was part of the job as well. It's so amazing how the profession has evolved and changed over two, three decades. Yeah, exactly. Like I was tracking across Dominion and I talked. At Boston College, I just was head field hockey, head the cross, and then when I came to Penn State, I was just head field hockey. But then it evolved into a teaching position, so I took faculty because they didn't really know how to, you know, count on coaches' hours during a week, and so we, we all took on some teaching responsibility, which which I didn't mind at the time. But when we got into the Big Ten, it really just became uh, very time-consuming to teach those other classes. But you know, I'm glad. I had that experience. That's really what I do. Sport. Um, I have great athletes. I talk in class each uh, each fall, and uh, a little envious that he does get to teach such a course uh, you know, when I was in school, I actually had that class. It, it was fascinating, not only to hear from him every day, but to hear from the different people he brought in. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. While we're on the subject, he's going into his fifth decade of coaching here at Penn State. 33 years for you. That, that's incredible. Did you ever think about leaving? What is it about this place that's allowed you to carve out such a, a great career? One thing I always tell my coaching peers is, you know, I knew uh, when I came to Penn State to coach that, you know, I, I was getting to something that was going to be, you know, a life, lifetime experience. You know, you look at uh, coaches like a Joe Paterno and obviously like a Russ Rose and others that have been here for such a long time and that really it wasn't the expectation it was honestly a gift the gift to coach is such an amazing university that keeps athletics and academics in perspective that really offers the student athletes just an amazing well-rounded experience and and what a what a great community you know you, you know the people that own the little shops at the tavern you know get down at um you know uh lions pride you know, Bill at the tea shop, you know, all these people mm-hmm. within the community. So you feel like you're really part of this, uh, this wonderful, connected family. As someone that has such great perspective over the years, and you mentioned heading into the Big Ten, what did that mean for Penn State, the athletic department, the programs? What did joining the Big Ten mean? You know, I think it just gave, uh, especially a sport like field hockey, so much more visibility um, in different areas of the country. Field hockey really was like primarily an East Coast sport, but to branch out to Michigan and to Iowa and to uh, compete against those schools and have those schools come East as well, I think it just really did a great deal for our sport and growing the sport, I would say that. Uh, I remember one day I was jogging down by um, the railroad ties down the street mm-hmm. by at the end where where Joe lives and I was out running and I saw this person way ahead of me walking and he didn't have his shirt on and as I got closer I saw it was Joe 
and we just made the announcement that we were going to the Big Ten and had a chance to really talk to him one-on-one about what he thought. And he said, you know, Charlene, it's going to be um, wonderful for our university academically as well with all more research opportunities and graduate opportunities for all of our students. So, um, you know, it wasn't really just about athletics. So I think, uh, you know, we've really benefited from going into the Big Ten as a university. You mentioned the running a couple of times. Where's your favorite place to go in State College? I know you're still doing it today. Yeah, you know what? I do love running that. Uh, now that they, they used to be just a little narrow dirt trail there, but they really expanded it. So it's, it's got more chips and gravel that goes all the way out to Coffee. I really I enjoy that. But, you know, on game day, I always want to go for a run before the game in the morning. And I just love running around campus and uh, just looking at the beautiful school and just the cleansing and cleanliness of the campus and the history of the campus, some of the changes. Uh, it's something that, you know, I really measure throughout the years, the different changes and think of the different experiences that I've had and the different preparations I've had before big games and so I'm taking those runs. So we're, we're very fortunate. We have, I live over by the Arboretum. I live right on the street, so I've got some great options there. And not much as a coach, what goes through your head on those runs as you're getting ready for, say, it's a big game coming up against Maryland or a Big Ten tournament game? What's going through your head as you go out on one of those morning runs and you have a game coming up six, seven hours later? Yeah, you know, I really think about the goals that we set for the team uh, for that game. I really think about the preparation that week at practice and just really want to review some at the end of the game. Um, and, and again, just to really think about which players I need to really. Uh, focus on as far as you know them being a leader or me being patient uh, maybe some substitution options but you know it's the other thing is just like I, I think the majority of my thoughts are how exciting it's going to be you know it's a great day in Happy Valley we're going to get a great crowd out there it's going to be a competitive game that that's really gives me the I really get the juices flowing there and get my uh, get my pace picked up as I prepare for the game I would say. Shar, over the years, the, the Big Ten titles, 28 NCAA tournaments, uh, been to the semifinals of the national tournament five times, a couple of national championship games. When you look back at the accomplishment and, and what some of the common threads are between the really, really good teams, the really successful teams that you've coached, what what stands out? I, I think it's definitely the uh, the bonding of the team and, and the, the full commitment of a group of women that they've really um, – have that goal to win championships is something they work hard year round to do. Um, you know, every now and then you're, you're sort of rebuilding a little bit. So you might not have uh, players that are as experienced that really know that feeling. And, and again, it's having some great leaders, you know, you definitely have to have the leaders if you're going to be successful. So I think some of the kids that have been um, taking us to those final four moments, I've really been like a, you know, Jill Martz and uh, Eleanor Stone and Stacey Gilberg and Suzanne Bizzignaros, uh Chris McGinley. Uh, some of those players just have really, Jen Long, uh, Ali Scola, they, they've just been great leaders. Kirsten Wood, they've been great leaders on the field for us. And I think they're the ones when, when you have the players that can really set that tone and show that, um, that commitment level, I think where you're at your best. I'm kind of backtracking here, but when I was looking at the timeline of your career and then 
Then I was looking at Sandy Barbers. Did you ever play against Sandy? Did you coach against Sandy? You know, I say I've coached against Sandy when Sandy, I think, was an assistant coach at either UMass or or Northwestern. Um, I don't think when she was playing at Wake Forest that we played against her back then. But uh, I know she was a goalie, and then one day I saw a picture of her, and she was a field player. I'm like, yo, what what were you, a field player (laughs) or a goalie? She's like, let's not talk about it. I'm like, okay. But, yeah, really uh, appreciative of the leadership that she's given us. The Olympic experiences for you, Sharon. I saw you just shared a story from Yahoo a day or two ago about the 1980 and the Moscow boycott, and then you got a chance to win a bronze medal in 1984. What did that mean to you? What were those experiences like just to have the colors and represent the United States? You know, I really thought that, you know, representing Penn State was, you know, the ultimate. Now, when I had the opportunity to, you know, put the red, white, and blue on and go across the Atlantic Ocean and play in front of 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium, you know, my first uh, international cap. It really um, just swelled with pride and, and did not take one second of it for granted. And, you know, I, I again, am really fortunate that I had the opportunity to travel the world with field hockey um, and then to be a teammate with so many incredible athletes and women uh, in 1980 when we went from 11th in the world to third to qualify for the Moscow Olympics. And I think that was the devastation is, you know, we really had come so far in such a short time. And um, to think about what the 1980 Olympic ice hockey team did and that we were, you know, going to have that same experience, you know, pretty soon ourselves. And then, you know, to have to go through the boycott was devastating. It's so hard to talk about when I talk publicly about it. It's, it's not easy for me. Um, and to read that article, I did talk to uh, Henry Bushko about that, that experience. But, you know, I, I'm, again, just fortunate that I was selected to uh, represent the United States. And, again, extremely lucky that I was young enough that I could focus um, for 1984. You know, and I know – you know, they decided to postpone the Olympics next year. I'm like, you know, at least you're still you're still going. You know, you're mm-hmm. still going. So I think that was positive. So I had a lot of support at Penn State when I was training for the 80 Olympics. I stayed to do graduate work and help uh, Jillian coach. Uh, Sam Riley, um, Jody Ange, and um, it was uh, Matt Millen. They would all allow me to go into the football training room, lifting room, and, and lift because women didn't really lift back then. So, you know, I was able to have that experience with them in a fun way, but also it helped me get stronger. And I'll never forget once they called for the boycott, I um, I was at home the next morning after hearing the news that night and still, you know, very emotional about it. And there's a knock at my door. It was Jody Ann, who really helped me with my strength training. He was a linebacker at Penn State. And, uh, you know, he held me, hugged me, and we both cried and, as soon as we got done crying, he's like, all right, well, let's go. And I'm like, well, where are we going? Are you taking me to breakfast? He's like, no, I'm taking you to the gym. We're training for 1984. Let's go. We're not wasting any time. So, you know, I was sort of fortunate that I had those people that, you know, helped me along the way. And then how rewarding was it when you're going through the opening ceremonies in 84 and you're finally there knowing what you experienced four years prior? Yeah, like just knowing that, first of all, we were not going to boycott our own Olympics. Um, the second thing was that, you know, we were pretty uh, in a good position 
with our ranking. I think we were third again going into the Olympics, had beaten everyone that had been there. It was going to be a round-robin tournament. I think one of the greatest things about my experience at the Olympics was that my family could attend. They could afford to attend. They rented a house outside of L.A. and came to all the games. And I had young nephews at the time that could go to the other venues. Um, Our, where we lived in the dorms back then, all the athletes lived in the dorms. Michael Jordan was three houses. Three, three rooms down. Uh, Patrick Ewing was on our floor. Um, so it was pretty, uh, pretty cool when I was watching the last dance um, and they showed the, the athletes marching into the 84 games. Um, you know, I, I wanted to put the, I wanted to put it on pause and see if I could find myself, but um, it, it was just a, um, it was a great time because, you know, what, Brian, back then all the athletes were all together. Mm-hmm. Nobody was off on their own, you know, uh, compound training, you know, themselves. Everybody was eating in the cafeterias together. Everybody was mingling socially within the village. Um, there's just a, you know, you're on the elevator with Rowdy Gaines and Mark McGuire and uh, Greg Luganis. So, and everybody just was asking, how'd you do today? Good luck. So, you know, I feel, again, just so lucky that that was, that was my Olympic experience. And then, you know, to um, at one point finish our round-robin play and think that we were out of medal contention um, was devastating. But then when our coach, Bonnie Grove, did the math, knowing that Holland was playing Australia the next day and we could be mathematically tied for bronze and there would have to be a shootout. And um, if Holland won by one goal, Australia would have won the bronze. If Holland won by three goals, we would have won the bronze and they won by two. So it put us in a mathematical tie with Australia. So once their game was over, we had to come out of the stands and take our five best penalty strokers against their five, and uh, our five nailed it. They each scored their two goals, and uh, we beat Australia in penalty shootout to win the game, win the bronze. And look, as we talk here, there are certain things that are the good old days. You were kind of mentioning it there. Social media and all the resources that, that we have and athletes have and coaches have today that's great, and don't get me wrong, but there is there's some nostalgia when you think back uh, to the era pre-social media. There's something about those sporting events in the 70s, the 80s, even the 90s that it's so much different than where we are today. Yeah, I would not trade those years, never. I wouldn't trade them for a million dollars. There's no way. Um, you know, because you had those, you developed those meaningful relationships. You know, it wasn't something that was superficial. It wasn't something that was, you know, going to go away in, uh, you know, 30 seconds. It just, it's something that stayed with you. I mean, I remember them giving us those throwaway cameras and just the the simplicity of those things. And maybe you made double prints, you know, that was a big deal. But, mm-hmm. but I think it was more just the interactions and the sharing of stories and the sharing of victories and defeats with each other and um, traveling the world that were great memories for me because they were with my teammates. Shar, to wrap this up, I started by asking what type of impact field hockey and sports and athletics has had on your life. I, I think the right way to wrap it up then, what kind of impact do you think you've made on athletics or field hockey, whatever it may be throughout your career and your life? You know, I just, um, I hope that, that people will, see me as someone who tried to better the game, tried to better them as a person, tried to better the sports, the brand, um, also to represent Penn State and to represent the United States and my teammates um, with 
I would say more with like integrity and, and gratitude. I, I am so grateful for those that have um, sort of paved the path for me. And I hope that I can make it better for the next generation. I, again, I've been so lucky to have amazing people that have helped me along the way, like Lisa Bravinchek Love and Stuart Smith, my two assistants, um, you know, and other players that I've had. So, you know, I, I feel that they've been part of a big part of the success that I've had. And um, I just think we continue to grow and, and get better. Isn't it rewarding when you have a player or someone want to come back, an alum that wants to come back and coach and still be around the program? I think that's the cool thing about Penn State field hockey is there are so many people who are still invested in the program over the years where they want to come back, and you've developed that culture and that family where they still feel a part of the program no matter when they played. Yeah, absolutely, and not just them, but their parents as well. I've had, I have great relationships with some of our players and their parents, um, you know, my little dog Ziggy's been sick and I, I called one of my former players, Michelle Rigby and, you know, and was asking her advice. And I talked to her last night and she's watching beauty and the beast with her two little girls. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just, you know, can I ask you about this medicine that they prescribed for Ziggy? She's like, you know, absolutely. And then I read a tweet that Laura Gephardt is the mm-hmm. new head coach at Bryant field hockey. So you know, I, I texted her and emailed with her and proud of her and what she's accomplished. And so many of our former players that have been on the front lines and in the hospitals during this time, um, just, you know, their courage and, you know, what, what they provided to keep us all healthy and safe is something that I absolutely do not take for granted and feel blessed. Well, Shar, as a player and coach, it's been about four decades, and we're hoping for four more with you because it's been so so much fun. It's been a great ride, and the, the stadium upgrades are coming. This was a fantastic to catch up, and I hope we can do this again soon. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Shar Moret Curtis, one of the greats, the head coach of the Penn State field hockey team, a USFHA and NFHCA Hall of Fame member, Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, the longest tenured field hockey coach in the Big Ten. Great perspective that she can bring not only to the history of Penn State athletics, and we could go 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes on each of those individual topics alone, and maybe we will in the near future. We'll revisit with Char and talk about even right now during this time of the coronavirus pandemic, how is she handling it? They have so many international athletes. How are they communicating with them? How are they traveling? You can't travel right now to go and recruit. Maybe this is just something that they're used to, where, where they are accustomed to doing Zoom chats and FaceTiming with these recruits. I'd love to get into all these aspects with Shar, and hopefully we can again in the very near future. That was that was so much fun to hear from her. So thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. If you like what you heard here today, as always, make sure you hit that subscribe button, share this on social media, tell your friends, bring everyone in, and we'd love to hear from you as well. If you have any questions you want to ask any of our guests, let us know, and we'd be more than happy to share those with our guests on the podcast. This has been Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.